Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. When we think of the word judges, we think of somebody who sits in judgment, somebody that sits behind a desk and bounds a gavel and makes a decision. But actually the word in the original Hebrew means deliverer. Somebody that delivers somebody from a situation, from circumstances of life, uh, from a stranglehold in their life, or from a stronghold of sin, or a stronghold of an enemy. Uh, So that's what we're talking about uh, in in this context. And so it's for 400 years, uh, the book of Judges covers 400 years. That's a lot for us to do. We're going to try to do it in 10 weeks. So uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. And, And so that idea, as we look at the judges as God rises up individuals who would deliver the people of Israel in the midst of a difficulty, in the midst of a, a problem in their life. And we are called to be deliverers. And we might deliver somebody by sharing the gospel with another individual. We might deliver somebody by offering a word of hope or a word of encouragement. We might deliver somebody by giving financial assistance to somebody in need. We might deliver, deliver somebody by ministering to the, to the homeless, to the helpless, and to the hopeless. So the question I ask you is, can you deliver? Can you deliver the goods? I was reading something uh, several weeks ago about the reasons that people do not share the gospel. And I'm just going to paraphrase what the article said. Basically, it said that people would rather be liked than obedient. They would rather be liked than obedient. And I thought about that. I said, I, I can understand that. Many times I'd much rather you like me than me be obedient to what God has called me to do. So I, I recognize that problem. Then it made me think about the people that deliver our packages. Whoever it is, a UPS guy, a postal service guy, or a DHL, or Federal Express, anybody that delivers a package, do you know they don't care if you like them? They don't. They have a job to do. Their job is to deliver the goods. And so I think that we can learn something from them. It may not be that people will like us, but we have a responsibility to deliver the goods. We have a responsibility to deliver the package that God would have us to do. We ought to simply deliver a message. Whether it's received or not, we can't do anything about that. So God is going to work for us, work in us to, de- to help us be deliverers, and there's a culture in which you will be able to deliver. Uh, That's what the book of Judges talks about. It talks about a culture that goes on in the life of Israel that God chose to send deliverers. It's the culture that God will be working through you to deliver other people. So like I said, the book of Judges is an overview, 400 years, and really first uh, Judges 1 and Judges 2 is a synopsis of the entire book of Judges. It's kind of an overview. And what it lays out for us is this this cycle that the the Israelites find themselves in. We're going to call it the downward spiral of rebellion. It's just a downward spiral that tees them further and further and further down. That's the culture in which the Israelites found them. That may be the culture in which God is going to use you as well to deliver a message individuals. But get this, that may be where you find yourself. 
That may be the culture you're in right now. You may find yourself in that downward spiral of rebellion. So God has a word for you because if he's going to use you to be a deliverer in that culture, he might need to deliver you first from that culture that you are in. And the only way you're going to get out of that is you're going to need to repent. You're going to need to repent and turn to God so that you can get out of that culture. And then once you've done that, then God will be able to use you to be a deliverer to someone else. So that's what we're going to be looking at. This is the culture. So the context of the book of Judges is the land is the conquest. Joshua has led the people to the promised land. They've taken over uh, uh, Jericho and, and the people are settling in the land. And an understanding Judges 1 and Judges 2 forms the foundation of the whole book. So we got to know what it says before we can dig in to the rest of it. So the Israelites knew what they were supposed to do. Turn over real quick, if you will, to Numbers chapter 33, verses 50 through 56. It'll be on the screen for you, but you know, I always like you to open your Bibles so maybe you can highlight or underline something that speaks to your heart. Listen to what Moses says. On the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols, and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot, according to your clans. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance. And to a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Do you think there's any mistake that the Israelites did not understand. They understood exactly what Moses told them to do. Uh, this wasn't a debate. Yeah, I don't think they had to form a committee to decide. Now let's decipher what Moses said. I think they understood exactly what it is that Moses wanted them to do. So this may be the culture in which you find yourself being used by God. It's a culture that of what Moses told the Israelites to do. So let's look at this as we look at this downward spiral. The first thing you're going to see is the compromise of the truth. Compromise of the truth. Moses told the Israelites, drive out the inhabitants, tear down the idols. Drive out the inhabitants, tear down the idols. So let's look at how they compromise. Look at verse 21. And we'll just look at bits and pieces of it. The Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites. Verse 27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people. He did not drive out the people. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in that area, but they did subject them to forced labor. Verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out those living in in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. Do you see a pattern? Do you see a pattern developing in, in these verses? How, how they, 
they did not do what God told them to do. They, they, they compromised. And I look up the word compromise to help us understand. Compromise means to accept standards that are lower than is desirable. To accept standards that are lower than is desirable. They conceded by allowing these individuals to stay in the land. They did not drive them out from the land like God told them to do. You see, they should have been enjoying the promised land. They should have been in conquest, should have defeated it, and they should have been enjoying the riches of the promised land and, and really living in the blessing that God had given to them. But they found themselves constantly under oppression. They found themselves constantly under attack because they did not be obedient and they compromised the truth of God's Word. Listen, you've got to follow the instructions. I know, guys, men, I know it's hard. You think you have an instruction manual in your head and you don't have to read the instruction manual. Listen, you've got to read the guidelines. You've got to follow the instructions. But how many times we say, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to follow those instructions. There's a tendency to not read the owner's manual and to try to, to do things on our own. We kind of like to pick and choose what we follow, don't we? Ooh, I like that one. I like that one. Kind of the cafeteria-style Christianity. Ooh, this is really cool. I don't know about that one. We like to pick and choose. We all like to fudge a little, don't we? Don't we all like to fudge a little? Uh, I remember, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, God sets parameters. Uh, he, he sets parameters. Now listen, God establishes parameters not to punish us, not to steal our happiness. He sets parameters because He knows what happens when you go past those parameters. He knows it's going to bring you a lot of difficulty, a lot of trials, a lot of problems in your life. So He establishes parameters. He says, hey, stay within these parameters, parameters and you will be able to live the abundant life that I promised you that you'll be able to live. But you've got to stay within that area, within those parameters. Have you ever thought... Sometimes you say, did God really mean that when he said it? You read something in the Bible, did he really mean that we're supposed to do that? You want me to tell you what the answer is? Yes. Yes. Uh, years ago, there was a, a campaign of billboards around the United States, and, and one particularly caught my eye as I, I saw I didn't see it personally, but I saw it on, on the Internet, so it must be true, right? I saw it on the Internet. And, and this sign, these are billboards from God, and this particular billboard said, what part of thou shalt not didn't you understand? Sign, God. What part of thou shalt not did you not understand? But we all have a temptation to compromise, don't we? We all have that temptation uh, to compromise and, and, and you know, we, we don't want to take a stand against the flow of culture. Uh, we want to find a loophole. Maybe there's a loophole. I remember reading about the, the comic of a past century, W.C. Fields, as he was dying. He was reading the Bible. He never read the Bible before in his life. He's reading the Bible. And somebody said, what are you doing reading the Bible? He says, I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for loopholes. And that's the way we are. We read the Bible, we look for loopholes. Surely God didn't mean that. Surely that's not what God is suggesting in this passage. You know why we look for loopholes? You know why we said, I'm not going to follow this, I am going to follow that? To justify our sin because of our passions and our desires. That's why we do it. Or maybe because of our hopes and our dreams, and God's Word is on a collision course with that. And when you do that, you find another definition of a compromise, which is to expose or make vulnerable to danger. To expose or make vulnerable to danger. 
So we compromise of the truth. The second truth is we have communion with the enemy. Communion literally means to have fellowship or to be in close association. Look at Judges 2, 11 and 12. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger. You see what they've done? Because they compromised the truth, because they didn't drive out the enemy, because they didn't tear down the altars, now they're having relationships with the enemy and they're bowing down to the very gods they were supposed to destroy. That's what happens when you compromise. You begin bowing down to things that, that are not really gods whatsoever. You begin finding yourself in communion with the enemy. Let me ask you, to what gods are you bowing down to? Are you bowing down to the God of materialism? The God of materialism says, says I need more stuff. I need more money. And what you said, instead, instead of getting rid of some things that may hinder you, you find yourself serving the God of materialism. Maybe it's the God of popularity. Uh, maybe, and I think this is probably more for young people than older people. I know it works for all of us, doesn't it? The God of popularity says, you'll say anything, you'll do anything to be in the in crowd. And when you do, you're compromising your integrity. You're compromising truth because you want to be popular. You want to be known, the God of materialism, the God of popularity, or maybe it's the God of sensuality. Is there some magazine, some book, some TV show, or some, something on the internet that you need to get rid of because you, found yourself, you find yourself more and more drawn to that? It's become your God. What is the God that you are serving? What is the God that you are pursuing? What are those things that you should have driven out of your life? When you came to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you said, Jesus, I'm making you Lord. And when you do that, you get some things out of your life. You get them out of your life. Because if you don't get them out of your life, they are going to come back and haunt you. They're going to come back and they're going to be at war with your soul and they're going to be battling for dominion over your life. You've got to get rid of those things. You've got to get them out of your life. What gods are you embracing in your life? Do you find yourself in unhealthy things to the point that they are destructive in your life? What enemy of your soul are you embracing? We need to get rid of it. That's communion with the enemy which leads to the next step. Combat against God. I know what you're saying. Oh, you can't fight God. Yes, you can. And God will fight you. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In his anger, whose anger? God's anger. In God's anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as He had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Underline underline some key thoughts here. Who was it that handed them over? It was the Lord. It says the Lord handed them over. It says He sold them to their enemies. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. They were fighting against God. They didn't know they were fighting a losing battle, but they were fighting against God. 
He was turning them over to the hands of enemies. You can fight against God. Several weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 4, verse 4. This is what James said. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Listen, you cannot follow the will of God and embrace the way of the world. Hear me on that. You cannot follow the will of God and embrace the way of the world. You can't do it. And neither can you follow the will of God and stay where you are. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it. James in that passage is not talking about associating with the world. Obviously, we've got to associate with the lost. We've got to associate with the world. How else are we going to be salt? How else are we going to be light? How else are we going to be moral influence? How else are we going to deliver them from the midst of their bondage if we don't associate with them? What he's talking about, don't embrace the way of the world. Don't embrace the culture of the world. Don't embrace what's going on around you. He's talking about those elements or those forces that are opposed to God. Let me ask a question. Are you hostile to God? Are you an enemy of God? Just answer, examine your heart and answer that question for yourself. Are you an enemy of God? If you are embracing those things that are destructive to your soul, guess what? You're an enemy of God. If you find that you love the world more than you love Jesus, if you love the world more than you love the things of God, you're an enemy of God. The word adulterous that James uses in that passage means that your passions and affections and devotions are given over to something other than Jesus. That's what adultery means. You're given your devotion, you're given your passion, you're giving your dedication, you're giving your affections over to someone other than Jesus. So that next step is that combat against God. But look at verse 15. The latter part of verse 15. One little phrase. They were in great distress. They were in great distress. That word distress literally means to press or be straightened, to squeeze you into shape. You understand what God's doing here? Do you understand what God is trying to do? God is putting the people of Israel through tough times to get their attention. He says, I'm allowing you to go through these difficulties. I'm allowing you to go through these hard times. I'm allowing you to go, go through the troubles because I'm trying to squeeze you into shape. I'm trying to make something out of you. And the only way I can do that is through discipline. And so that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he, they're, they're in distress because they're being pressed into shape by God. God's trying to get their attention. Sometimes we go through painful experiences as individuals, as a church, because God is trying to get our attention. Do you feel that you're going through a difficulty in your life? Have you embraced the enemy to the point that you find God disciplining you in your life? He's trying to get your attention. Are you fighting against God? Are you fighting against His loving hand who is trying to woo you back? He's trying to call you back into relationship with Him. Have you fallen in love more with the world than you have Jesus? The way you respond to God's discipline is to repent so that you can be used by Him. That's a situation which God may use you. 
But that might be the situation you find yourself in. That might be the culture in which you find yourself in. And you need to be delivered from it. You need to be delivered from that situation. So that leads to the next step. Remember this downward spiral. Crying by man. Look at verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, He was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Focus on that phrase, they groaned. They were groaning because of disobedience. Several times throughout the book of Judges, you hear this phrase, they cried out to the Lord. They groaned to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. They were crying out to the Lord because of the oppression of the enemy. You know how this works. Lord, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll never do this again. God, if you would just give me some relief out of this situation, then I promise you I'll never get into that situation before. Uh, this is what they're doing. They're not really, it's not really a cry of repentance. It's a cry for relief. That's what they're wanting. That's a big difference. A big difference between a cry of repentance and a cry of relief. You know how this works. I'm sure none of you understand this, this illustration because your children were perfect. And if your children weren't perfect, you know your grandchildren are perfect, right? That's why they're called grandchildren, okay? Uh, so, but when I was, when I was, uh, uh, when I, all my children in, in, in my home and they were little, uh, I would sometimes catch them doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. I know your kids probably never did this, okay? But stay with me, okay? Imagine this is what happened, okay? And so you would catch your kids doing something, you go, and you, you know, and they go, oh, and you know, oh, daddy, daddy, oh, I'm so sorry, daddy, oh, daddy, don't punish me, oh, daddy, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. You know what they were doing? They weren't sad because they did it. They were sad because they got caught. And when it got them big old crocodile tears, yeah, big old, cro and you, oh, come here, baby, I just love you so much. Big difference. Big difference between a, a, a cry of, of, of relief and a cry of repentance. They weren't repenting because they wanted to change their lifestyle. They were sad because they got caught and they might get punished. You see, a cry of relief comes from just wanting to be delivered out from under the oppression. A cry of repentance says, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my life. Which leads to the next step. Compassion toward God. We saw this in verse 18. The Lord had compassion on them. The Lord had compassion on them. God is compassionate. Aren't you grateful that we serve a compassionate God? Aren't you grateful that we have a good, good Father? Aren't you grateful we have a compassionate God? But in this downward spiral, in this downward spiral, they just do it over and over again. And so God having compassion for Israel, even though they did not repent. So what does He do? He brings a deliverer into the people. He brings a deliverer to deliver them out of the pit, to deliver them out of their situation. And for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how God used these individuals to deliver the nation of Israel. And guess what you're going to discover? You're going to discover the deliverers that God uses are people just like you and people just like me. They're not heroes. They're just normal people that God used to do an extraordinary thing. 
Next year, next week, we'll talk about a guy who's left-handed. Talk about a guy left-handed and see how God used him to deliver the people. We'll talk about how God you can use a disability as an ability. As an ability. This is what we're going to learn. How many of you want to deliver? God says you can deliver. And it's amazing. It's amazing when people are going through difficulty, when they're struggling in life, it's amazing how open they are to help. It's amazing how open they are to, to, to truth and how open they are to somebody coming alongside them and helping them in the midst of that. And that's when you need to be available. That's when you need to be available to help that individual, to deliver that individual from that situation. How many of you are crying out for mercy right now? How many of you are in distress right now? Now is the time for you to cry out to God. Now is the time for you to ask to be delivered. Now is the time for you to repent. You don't need to just have remorse. You don't need to have relief. Now is the time for repentance. And here's the good news is the Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Did you know that God is being kind to you right now? Right this moment, He's being kind. He's patient. He's being patient with you. He's trying to tell you some things. He's trying to show you some things. And He's just being kind to allow you more time to repent. And it's, kind, and it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. This moves us to the last step. You would think that people that have received the compassion of God, that they change. But look at what happens. Complacency of man. That's the final step. Remember, downward spiral all the way. Notice what he says in verse 19 of the passage. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt, underline, more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. You would think they've, they've received compassion and they experienced a little relief from the oppression that they would step out. But what happened? They became complacent. Uh, they became apathetic. The word, uh, uh, the word means contented to a fault, self-satisfied, unconcerned. Contented to a fault, self-satisfied and unconcerned. Isn't that our tendency? Isn't that what we do as individuals? When things are going great, we just kind of roll with it. Oh, this is so good. And we get complacent. And we just kind of roll with it. We don't make any changes. Oh, this is pretty good. And what happens? The cycle starts all over. We get, we get, we, we get content. Well, we, get, uh, com you know, we get complacent. And then we start abandoning the truth once again. And we start the whole cycle over and over in our life. Just like the people of Israel did in their time. And this downward spiral that the Israelites found themselves in, they sunk lower than previously. The Bible says they got more corrupt. More corrupt. You know, they did not abandon their practices. They did not abandon their stubborn ways. Their complacency is what gets you compromising the truth and starting that cycle all over again. That's the environment in which you can, can, you can be delivered. It's the environment in which you can deliver other people. That's the culture in which God will use you to deliver other people. You may need deliverance today. You may, you may need to be set free today. 
And as I've went through this, this downward spiral of rebellion, you said, man, I identify with that. Man, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. You know, that's where I'm at right now. If that's where you are, God's word to you today is that you can be rescued from this situation to repent of your sins. Turn back to Jesus Christ and He'll point you in the right direction and He'll lead you in the land of plenty. He'll do it. You are always constantly under a stronghold of some sort. Some stronghold that you didn't remove from your life and you find yourself entrapped, enslaved, infatuated with it. And it begins to control you more and more. You haven't fully driven out the things in your life that are hindering you. You've not torn down the idols that you tend to worship. And it's hindering you in your walk with Jesus. It's hindering you in your walk with the Lord. What is it in your life that you need to get rid of? What is in your life that's hindering you from being all that you can be? for Christ Jesus. Listen to what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 23 verses 12 to 13. This is what Joshua said. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. He says, but if you turn away and ally, ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Is that what you want? Do, do, do you want to constantly live in a state of bondage and a state of oppression versus freedom and joy? And you may be at any step in the spiral where you're at. And the only way you get out of it is to repent. Repent and turn back to God. Right before Joshua uttered those words, he said this in verse 11 of chapter 23 of Joshua. He says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. Let me ask you a question. Are you being careful to love the Lord your God? Are you being careful to love the Lord your God and not have any idols before Him? Are you guarding your soul from those things that hinder you and you walk with Jesus? It's a constant battle, isn't it? It's a constant battle. That's why we are constantly at war with our adversaries to put them behind us, to tame them, to control them, and get them out of our lives so we can live for Jesus and bring Him glory and bring Him honor. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we surrender to Him, that He will lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not for us. And I, I, I know that bursts your bubble. It's really not about you. It's not. It's about so that God can use you to bring glory to Himself. Paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We're not here to make our name famous. We're here to make His name famous. 
We're not here to bring glory to ourselves. We are here to bring glory to Jesus and Christ alone. And the Bible says, you know, that if we lift up Jesus in our personal lives, in the life of the church, if we lift up Jesus and we magnify Jesus, you know what the promise is? He'll draw the people to himself. He didn't say, I'll draw the people to you. He said, I'll draw the people to myself. That's what we should be doing. But we live in this downward spiral of rebellion. And we got to get out of it. So that's for the next nine weeks. We're going to look at that. And we're going to look at the people that God uses. And how He can use you. And how He can use me.